Jeff will start with a touch. Havlicek touches it. It's again. Three seconds. Hondo off the go. He's got it in a second. John Havlicek Afternoon, Celtics fans, and welcome to another edition of Celtics Beat, brought to you by your friends at CLNS Radio. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and I'll be joined in a moment by my co-host, Adam Lowenstein, affectionately known in the Twitterverse as Stats Adam. Adam and I have a great show for you today. Later on, we'll be talking to Jay King of Mass Live about the Celtics offseason plans and what fans can expect next season from the team. Before we get to that, though, we also have CLNS founder Nick Gelso talking with Nets color announcer Tim Capstraw about the Nets' performance in the playoffs so far. Well, how are you today, Adam? Doing pretty well, enjoying the NBA playoffs. I know the second round might not be able to be as good as what we saw with that epic first round, but it's definitely been some enjoyable basketball thus far. Yeah, definitely those first round games and the number of overtime games and just the sheer number of of close games. I think there were very few blowouts at at all. I think definitely have folks, uh, maybe their interest a bit heightened a bit for the playoffs this year. And even though the Celtics didn't make the NBA playoffs, Celtics fans are tuning in to see how Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett are faring with the Brooklyn Nets and, of course, how Doc Rivers and Glenn Davis are doing out with the Clippers. How have the former Celtics fared in the playoffs so far from your perspective? That's a great question. Of course, being able to advance past the first round is difficult, especially in the Western Conference for a team like the Clippers going through all that turmoil, going through everything that they went through. And now that we hear that the Sterling family might not let go of the Clippers, we don't even know if Doc's going to be a part of this team going forward. But he's the perfect coach for this situation, for what's going on, for being able to get through everything they went through during the first round on and off the court, including a pretty good Warriors team that pushed them to the brink. It was just exciting to see that great series that the Clippers were able to come out of and be able to advance. And now they have their hands full with a Thunder team that both teams are going to go up and down the floor. And you really don't know who's going to win this series after any game. Yeah, and of course, with the unfortunate Donald Sterling situation out in L.A., there's even been some noise about Doc Rivers walking away from the Clippers at the end of the playoffs over this. What do you see happening there? See, it's so tough, and I think it's going to get drawn out. We don't know how long this is going to be a story for, but it might be for a year or two years. Because when you go through the courts, which it might be that situation, Doc Rivers does not want to wait around and be a part of this situation. He wants to be a part of a clean basketball franchise, not something that has all this turmoil surrounding it. So that's why I see him not on this team next year. And I don't know how many players are going to be able to stick around with him either. So this is really the one and done, truly, that for some reason it's kind of odd to say that the Nets are going through in Brooklyn. We don't know how many years that's going to happen either. So it could be one and done for both these former Celtics franchises or or these these teams that the Celtics fans seem to latch onto in the playoffs. Yeah, and you know, with the Doc Rivers situation, I'm a little uncomfortable with the outpouring of sympathy for Doc Rivers, because I think it's pretty clear he knew what the situation was that he was getting into with Sterling, and you know the his career and his ego in terms of being the guy to kind of drive a team and 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 lead a team, you know, from the front office all the way down to coaching, really kind of um, you know maybe clouded his judgment there. So it's a little uncomfortable for me to feel too bad for him right now. He he kind of made his bed, and and he, you know, of course, kind of Teflon Doc. He's going to be able to walk away from it. And <laughs> and speaking with the Nets, I mean that's a great point. I mean KG seems to be having a limited impact on that series so far and on their first round series and you know I'm sure Nick will be discussing this with Tim Capstraw but do you see KG walking away at the end of this season? That's a great question. I remember in a Celtics uniform just one year ago him putting together three consecutive games at least 17 rebounds and he's showing that rebounding potential. He's giving them extra opportunities. Of course the scoring isn't there. We even saw one possession where he tried a baby hook that was just ugly when he had a lot of room to be able to score the bucket but now he's definitely shying away from the spotlight and a situation in which we're not sure if he's going to be able to play for another season, especially going through a grind of even 30 or 40 games in a regular season to get ready for another postseason. This could be it, but I feel like we're definitely judging off of two early games. When they get home, maybe that gives them a little bit of extra emphasis on going forward, trying to get a victory, and maybe you see the true Kevin Garnett, or at least five more minutes or ten more minutes of just great Kevin Garnett basketball that leads him to a victory and brings it back into the series. 
Yeah, I think, you know, while Garnett's offensive contributions obviously becoming more and more limited over time, I think, you know, people really undersell the value he brings on the defensive end. You know, it's 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 not noticeable necessarily in the box score, but just the positioning and the communication and just the way he has everybody kind of out there working on a string as he did with the Celtics, I think think has a much bigger impact that, that than folks think. And and speaking of Brooklyn, as I mentioned at the outset of the show, CLNS radio founder Nick Gelso caught up with the Nets color announcer, Tim Capstraw. So let's send it over to Nick for that interview now. We'd now like to welcome Nets play-by-play broadcaster Tim Capstraw to Celtics Beat. Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, great to be here. Thrilled to have you. Uh, we're now sitting with Game 3. We're going to get right into this. Uh, NBA playoff time, no time to waste. So we're sitting with Game 3 tonight. Nets down uh, 0-2. to two. So Miami has a two-game lead uh, on on the series. Let's look again, look ahead to tonight's game, Tim. Um, w- w- give me a preview. What has to happen tonight for the Nets to get their first win of the series? Well, obviously, coming back home, they have to use some uh, home court advantage, get the crowd behind them, and get some encouragement right now. I, I don't care. You know, even winning a series out in Toronto, you go down to Miami for a couple of games, boy, they, the world champions can take some wind out of your sails. You know, the first game one, they're losing by 20 points and just kind of getting getting blown out as the game went on. That took a little bit out of uh, a little bit, a lot out of the Nets. And then last night, or I'm sorry, Thursday night, uh, Nets. Um, you know, right in the game with five minutes to go, 5.15 to go, uh, or excuse me, 6.15 to go, and then the, then everything just fell out again where they had had breakdowns. So they got, they got better, but this net team needs to get some momentum right now and get feeling good about themselves, get the crowd behind them, and get their so-called uh, stars, make sure they're playing well. Darren Williams obviously coming off a scoreless game has to have uh has to contribute more that becomes a big factor and just generally everybody just playing at a higher level tim it's so evident with uh deron williams that you know when he's there and he's showing up for games the nets win and the losses seem to follow these games where he he's very quiet so how important is it for deron to get off to a a hot start quick uh, tonight in Game Three, I think it's important. I think it, there are times that he, he, there are times I will say that he plays very well, and he'll get himself ten, twelve, fourteen points and just play an all-around game. But you can see that the Nets in games one and two now are only averaging eighty-four points a game. They need him uh, to be a productive offensive player. You, when you looked at the individual matchups of this series. And, you know, you're not certainly not going to win the LeBron James matchup. You're not going to win Dwayne Wade. You hope that you would win the point guard and you would win uh, the bench. And, uh, you know, the bench played guys came in and played well last night. Darren Williams, obviously, Mario Chalmers made big shots, and he wasn't able to be a factor. But I have to credit. Uh, give, give a fair amount of credit or a lot of credit to Miami defense. They are swarming and doubling uh, Darren Williams as much as he as they can, making it difficult for him off the screens. And he's got a – but that's, that's some excuse, but certainly not – that's an excuse to limit you. That's not an excuse to shut you out. So he's got to still find a way to be a productive player. How hard has it been to watch Kevin Garnett in the last – you know, I think he got his first bucket of the series on Thursday night. Uh, he's just a different player. Is he – is his impact still more in the locker room and on the practice court? Uh, is it equaling what maybe he's lacking for in performance in games? Well, I would say that, except that in Toronto, he seemed very fresh in the Toronto series and really made big contributions, not only rebounding and defending, but scoring. He made shots. He made some plays. In a few of those games, he was a significant contributor. So it's not that many games ago that he was playing playing very well for the Nets, albeit not that many. You know, I think one game he played 27 minutes, but Jason Kidd likes to keep his minutes at about 20 a game. Yes, he is a different player. There's no doubt about it. He's not quite defensively solid, uh, more than solid. He can rebound defensively very well. Has a lot of trouble finishing, though, around the basket with athletic guys. Years ago, you'd see him go up and just dunk it, make the plays Mm -hmm. hard at the rim. He doesn't explode like that anymore. So that, that has been difficult. 
But you nailed it when you said his impact on this team and what he has done in the locker room has been amazing. He is, but this team really needed that. They needed, they needed leadership. They needed toughness. And uh, he is really a guy like Mason Plumley who'll get some rookie of the year votes and who hasn't really had a good series either. Well, I played okay last night, but a lot of his improvement and him going as a 22nd pick, but making huge contributions uh, to the net, this net teams this year has a lot to do with Kevin Garnett and his instruction, his encouragement, his teaching. He he has been a different Kevin Garnett, but that doesn't that, that is by no means it means he hasn't been a, a good Kevin Garnett. Let's stay on the former Celtics here and uh, move over to to Paul Pierce, who we as Celtics fans have seen him a million times step it up in the second half of the season, step it up in the postseason. A few months ago, we had Ian Eagle on. He said that Pierce embraced being a net after he got the Boston, the first Boston trip out of out of the way. Yeah. Uh, talk about his impact on the team now, Tim, and 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 where Pierce fits in and how he's embracing the culture in Brooklyn. No, I think it took him some time, though. I don't think it was easy. I thought it was no. a very difficult transition for him between. You know, getting used to not wearing green and white, and, uh, and 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 not being a Celtic, and coming. I think everything kind of. I think he was overwhelmed for a while. Then he had some injury problems, hurt his hand, and he missed some games that way. And I think that I nailed it when he said that. I think it's kind of almost like when you go away to college and you think everything is gr- unbelievable, and you go home. But the one time you go home. On Thanksgiving break, you come back and say, boy, I can't wait to get back to college. It had a little bit of that feel to it when he went to Boston. It was so overwhelming. It was so emotional. It was such a special night in in the fans, and and really the Boston Celtics should be commended for a beautiful night. But I think when that was over, it relieved a burden from him, uh, uh, an emotional burden, and, and I think that kind of freed him a little bit to be a player that combined with when the Nets were struggling and they were 10 and 21 uh, going into the new year, it's almost like he sat down and looked around and said, you know something, I might be a role player here. I might, I, I, I may, well, I might not be the star I once was, but I'm a good player here. But you know something, this team needs me to be a vocal leader right now. He, I think he was treading softly for a long time, wondering, you know, if he's stepping on any toes. Then he finally said, the heck with this. This team needs me. He moved then from small forward to the power forward, where you see that a lot because the NBA has changed. It's almost like two small forwards now. Mm -hmm. And that adjustment combined with his attitude, not attitude, his attitude was fine, but, I mean, his leadership coming forward combined with get the Boston trip over with and that all made an enormous difference, and Paul Pierce has been a wonderful and excellent addition to this team. And I think he still has basketball, good basketball in him, uh, maybe not the Hall of Fame-level basketball, but because his game was not always predicated on athleticism, or he could play the game without showing his athleticism all the time. I, I think he's an underrated athlete. I think he doesn't show it all the time, and he plays at a great pace, and he has great feel, and, and, and he can really use his basketball IQ extremely well. That I think he's got a, a, a good couple more years left in his game. Yeah, he's deceive. He's deceptive. He, yes, he's, yes, uh, yes. You know, he's uh, he, he's deliberate, yet he could beat you off the dribble. You know, he is, uh, and you don't even know how he did it because he's so deliberate about doing it. That's a perfect word. I'll be using that in the next broadcast. Deliberate is, no, I'm trying to always say, you know, he's kind of like, is it slow motion? Is it at his own pace? Where were you in the beginning? I could have used deliberate this whole year. That is the perfect. That is the the perfect Paul Pierce. uh, You know know what's interesting in this series that the Nets are in is that really a net, a net killer so far in the first two games has been Ray Allen. You know, Ray Allen is he's, he's kind of rejuvenated. He hasn't had a great season in Miami, uh, but he has been outstanding in games one and two. He's made huge impacts in the games. I've, I've, I'm going to Ray Allen. Let's go back. <laughs> to, 
let, before we do, let's go back to deliberate. My Twitter handle is CLNS underscore Nick. So shout that out when you're using deliberate. I love that. <laughs> I, I love it. No, in all honesty, I'm just kidding. But uh, I'll be listening for you to say that. <laughs> We've been tuning into uh, Brooklyn all season long. And, and really, our for the, the real diehard Celtics fans uh, that, that tune into this network – they're rooting for Brooklyn because we want to see our boys uh, get back to the promised land one more time. And, and Paul Pierce, you know, how much of the midseason turnaround for the Nets, I want to kind of go back to Pierce for a minute and then we'll move on to Allen. Uh, How much of the midseason turnaround for the Nets do you credit Paul Pierce's re re, uh, emergence onto the scene uh, with? It was Paul Pierce leadership jumps up. And then he moves from the small forward to power forward. The, emer- the insertion of a player named Sean Livingston into the starting lineup that made the Nets kind of play with a smaller lineup. And also Jason Kidd. I thought Jason Kidd's poise under pressure uh, of a coaching a season that was not going forward and, and it was outstanding also. So the combination of those three things uh, and probably, uh, you know, 20 other things also, but those are three that really jump out to me, really made a difference, and, 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 and that's what I'm talking about with Pierce, how how important uh, he was to that transformation of this team. This team was not going anywhere in 2013. They were 10-21, and 21, and they flipped yep. the switch on January 1st down in Oklahoma City when they came back from 16 points, and uh, it, it really, really, really made a difference. Tim, uh, you know, 10-21, and 21, whatever, I mean, we were we were covering we, we cover post game shows for every single Celtics game, so we were on analyzing Celtics losses, and undoubtedly every post game show it would veer to Brooklyn's record and what they were doing right now. Celtics fans are interested, yeah. And from the beginning, we have seen in Boston these guys flip the switch, like you just said, so many times. Where you know, first half of the season, you are so frustrated. And you feel like it's going nowhere, and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off, and they're playing like they're, I don't know about 25 again, but maybe they're playing like they're 30 again. And it's just enough to creep them by uh, their opponents. And from Paul Pierce's standpoint, when he visited Boston uh, for the first time, I covered that game. And you watched uh, a tense, I mean, he came to that game so tense. By the end of the game, he was Paul Pierce again. By the second time... Brooklyn visited Boston. He was fully Pierce again. I remember he was giving an interview uh, to the media, and someone had, had it was right around Rondo with the San Diego trip, skipping that that plane the plane ride to play the Kings, whatever. And Pierce started getting feisty and and kind of like mischievous look on his face again, saying, uh, you know, teasing around. Well, we we were at Rondo's kid's birthday party. So it was almost like Pierce was teasing the media again. We saw him coming back into his own. And I thought to myself, he's back. He's going to start playing again with fire and and intensity, and the Nets are going to turn it around, and and surely they did. So looking forward at, at Ray Allen, why is it that Ray Allen continues to get corner threes? I just don't get it. I mean, we watched in Boston so often him running the corners and and hitting clutch three-point shots. And here on Thursday night, we saw it again. Allen, I think, was three for five from three and really, really sticking it to his former teammates. Yeah, he sure was. He was a major contributor. Right? And uh and also, just his energy level is very high. He's moving incredibly well off baseline screens. He's curling on screens, getting into the paint and distributing the ball. He made a couple quick assists last night when he entered the game. He's very active. He seems to have uh, really flipped the switch on late in, or for the playoffs right now. It seems that the rest has done him well and uh, playing well. You know, I, I understand. Yeah, I know. It's just defensive breakdowns when he's open in a corner. Sometimes now when the ball is swung to him from one side to the other, it, it's just late rotations and just trying to get to him. And you've got to provide enough support for LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, that you, you yeah. know, you got to do that. Then you get there. When it's on the ball side and he's open for a three in a corner, well, that's just a, that's just a major mental breakdown. So, I mean – 
uh, you know, that that can occur, that has occurred. He hasn't just, just hasn't been, he's been, those shots have come to him. He has been uh, an active player. His motor is good. His uh, focus is good. He, his two games against the Nets, he has been, uh, you know, an outstanding off the bench, averaging, you know, what, 13 points a game. I didn't see the sheet, mm-hmm. but I mean, about yeah. 13 a game and about 25 minutes and, and really maybe making monster contributions. He, he's He's terrific. He's a big storyline uh, of these first, uh, first couple games. And it, again, though, he hasn't. It just hasn't come to him where he's just been wide open and shooting. He is making things happen, and uh, a big part of this playoff charge by the Heat. And they seem like they're at a different level right now. And the big reason why is because of Ray Allen. The Celtics in their prime of the big three, they were playing their best basketball when the ball was moving and Ray Allen was running off screens and. To this day, watching Miami now making the transition, I guess, to really root against the Heat when you're stepping back as a fan. Uh, and you start watching Ray Allen run off screens, and it, it, the man just never stops moving. And it's it really is a, a thing of beauty to watch because he's so instinctive uh, reading how, how the defensive player is going to come off screens. And, and Ray, almost a, a sense of irony with watching these three players now as they're coming into the the twilight of their career, Allen, Pierce, and Garnett, and Allen being always the 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 motor in the gym, always working on uh, on his body and on 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 really on his game constantly. Not that Pierce and Garnett don't, because they do too. But here's Ray Allen, who has really fit well into a role with Miami and excelled. Where we're kind of watching Garnett and and Pierce especially Garnett, fade away a bit. And uh, Garnett, I mean, watching him with all these injuries, I kind of liken it to watching Bird at the end of his career. It was so difficult to watch uh, if you're not in tuned with what's going on in the locker room, which the average fan isn't. So they're not going to kind of uh, put the two together as far as Garnett and his locker room presence goes. So my question to you is, will we see Kevin Garnett back next year in Brooklyn and in what capacity? Where does he fit in? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, he's got another year on his contract. I, I don't, but, you know, a guy, he, he's he been the, the recipient of an awful lot of money in his career. I don't know that oh, one yeah. year on his contract is going to make him just make decisions. You know, I don't know that that would be um, the, a reason. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he's a question mark if he, if he if he returns, I, I think again his leadership is so strong that the Nets would want him. There's no doubt about that, and they need some extra uh, support. Remember, Brook Lopez. This is all being done. The Nets yep. season's being done without Brook Lopez, their yep. All Star center. So you don't know exactly because he's had foot problems, Brook Lopez. So you don't want to bank on that. So you do need depth up front, and. Um, you know, you wonder how that's going to play out. I, I don't exactly know what management is thinking, and and yet, um, again, the intangibles he brings to a franchise are so important, and have been so important to this net team that, um, frankly, I just hope he, I hope he's back. And yet, you don't know because he's had a long career. He, he obviously I, it must get frustrating to Hall of Famers when they can't do it like they once did. You know what I mean? You know, it's got to be like, oh, man, I I couldn't finish that play. I couldn't just explode (sighs) and go dunk that. That, that, You know, I used to kill people on that. That You know where where it's – not to interrupt you, but it's so evident hearing Charles Barkley talk about the end of his career on TNT uh, because he he just – just like what you just said, oh, I couldn't finish that. You know, he just seems to – it's painful. I'm sure it's painful for these guys to watch after it's over, and it's more painful to go through when you're going through it. And you could see it on Garnett. I mean, it's hard to watch. Now, somebody who's covered the team, I know what he's bringing to the locker room. I know he's basically doubled up as your big man coach and right. your, your your motivational leader. You know, the average fan probably wouldn't know that. And I don't know that that's where Garnett wants to fit in uh, as a contributor on a team where he's wearing a uniform. You know, so... I guess time will tell. Oh, yeah, I guess time will tell. I, I couldn't predict that, and I think he's a he's a unique individual that very few people know particularly know well. Uh, everybody like, likes him, but they just don't know mm-hmm. him that well. It's kind of guarded, and uh, to, for me to get any kind of 
inside information or feel. I don't know that anybody knows. It, 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 yep. it, I don't know if Jason Kidd knows. I don't know if management has a feel. Uh, I'm certainly, I'm sure he's welcome back, but you, you just never ever know. Let's. Well, how about Paul Pierce? I mean, we're talking about a guy who's in that in the first series against Toronto. That game, I don't remember which game it was, Tim, but the game where he went back in time in the third or fourth quarter, the game without yeah. the shot clocks. I sat there. I think many, many Celtics fans were kind of in the closet waving their fists as Paul Pierce was was showing vintage truth uh, play there in against Toronto. So as we've seen Paul Pierce be able to kind of turn it on, flip the switch, as you put it, will he be back in, in a Brooklyn uniform next year? No, I, I don't. Again, I don't know. I wouldn't know for sure. I don't have any inside information. I, I don't know, but uh, I would think that, you know, I think he's got a couple good, uh, a couple more years in his game. Now, are they great years? No, but they're good years. And again, uh, even when Garnett wasn't, you know, was out with the back injuries this year, mm-hmm. Pierce was even more vocal. So I think he com- kind of. He kind of gives you that leadership thing too to a, to a team that that really relishes it. Uh, so I, and a toughness that he provides. I hope he is. I mean, I don't. Uh, I, I don't sure he wouldn't get paid the same as he's getting paid right now in, in his you know final contract. But I think be, you know I think if it's a respectful you know if he feels like it's a, a good amount or he feels like I think he feels like he's probably got a couple more years left in the, in the tank and again he's such as a player that uses that word again his deliberate style does not <laughs> does not burn out because he can pace himself. You think he's going easy, he's pacing, he's got, you know, there's a little bit, he's just got such a wonderful feel that mm-hmm. his game, again, you can't say, well, it's, boy, he doesn't jump within two, a foot of what he used to. Well, you never, you know, some games you don't even notice that he can jump. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So he can mm-hmm. still make contributions uh, with his, with the, this is all around play, his athleticism at times. His feel for the game, his fakes, his his fundamentals are so good. I'm always saying on the air that boy, high school players should be watching Paul Pierce because most of his moves you can do as a mm-hmm. as a guy out in the backyard and, and a guy. They are just basic fundamental moves that he just does at an incredibly high level. The best pump fake in the business. Best the best fake. shot fake. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, you know. <laughs> Wade, Wade is close. Wade is getting there. Other guys are getting. You know what happened? Guys get, and and, and they watch him. You know, and then he, he even made reference to Al Jefferson with the Bobcats, who I think learned his pump faking and how good he is at it from Pierce. So. Yep. 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 And uh, do you, do you think Pierce will go? To, you think he'll be? Do you think Paul Pierce is underrated? I think this he could be. Too. I think he could yeah. be in this modern ESPN highlight. You know, thing that's going on in the world right now. I don't think if you're a basketball coach or a basketball okay. aficionado, I don't think he is in any way. But I think when you don't see guys dunking on ESPN in top ten plays, sometimes there's a tendency from probably in the, people in the last three, four, five years to say, "Yeah, Pierce is good, but I, I, I don't really, you know, he's solid. You know, not solid, more than solid. But, mm-hmm. but I think you have to be." Uh, maybe a guy that's seen him throughout his entire career to really grasp it and be a real fan of his game to uh, to really appreciate it. And boy, it's fun hear, to watch. It's fun to watch. I hear young players, young fans, a lot uh, say to me, "Oh, Paul Pierce is boring to watch." Similar, like they say about San Antonio, boring to watch. Uh, good well, point. I mean, I, you know, I just kind of look at that. Like, where, where's were we this way when we were younger watching basketball? Because to me. You know, fun to watch is watching basketball instinct. It's watching the beauty of of a player having the ability to see the play before it happens. And Paul Pierce, with that deliberate nature, is one of those guys. Yeah, I agree. And he, uh, you know, it's it's fun now because in it, it, right now he's unique. There was a time when a lot of players' games were predicated on fundamentals, and then occasionally mm-hmm. to be an athletic guy. A Dr. J years ago that would come, oh, my gosh, it's so special to watch this incredible athlete. Now you see so many athletes, and you don't see enough fundamentals that the fact that Pierce is different and special in that makes it even better in my eyes. 
All right, our fan question of the day, Tim, as we're wrapping this up, it comes from Nicola from Italy. He runs a Facebook group uh, about the Boston Celtics, and it is a very, very popular group, a very big group, and it's all Italian. So don't go in there because you're not going to understand what they're saying. His question for you is, do you see a single opportunity where the Nets can win this series now down 0-2 going back to Brooklyn? Well, they got to make a statement tomorrow night. There's no doubt about it. They're not coming back from 3-0, so they better come out and and play at a high level tomorrow in front of their home crowd to get the juice going, get the Brooklyn crowd behind them, feel better about themselves. That's the one thing about the NBA. I mean, you come off the Toronto series, you're on a high, you're feeling great. In one game, the yep. next game out, you're down 20, you can lose a lot of confidence quick. Things change really quick. That's the backs are against the wall. They need to have Darren Williams play at a higher level, no doubt about it. Joe Johnson makes some plays. The bench has to continue. And I think a point that went under the radar is the Nets got to finish plays around the basket. Uh, we talked about Garnett not finishing. There are a number of layups missed. Nets got to finish. Some has to, now a fair amount has to do with the Miami Heat defense is close enough where they kind of affect shots, and you don't really then maybe not getting a block, and their defense is good. But the Nets points in the paint, their shooting percentage in the paint has to improve. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think they can. I think that I've seen this net team bounce back. Although the boy, the Miami Heat have shown why they've been world champions the last couple, last couple of games and in the last series. Their defense has been outstanding. But I think if the Nets can get this one, that might give them enough energy, enough confidence to be able to uh, take another one. But this is the critical game right here. They won't come back from 3-0. Tim, wrapping this this conversation up with you, and we appreciate your time. This isn't a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It's not fair because of the Brook Lopez situation. Had he been been in this series, uh, you'd be looking at a completely different game. If the Nets were not to advance past Miami in this round, would you uh, consider it a failure of a season? No, I would have thought that if the Nets didn't beat Toronto. I think the Nets would have got hammered for that. But I, I think when you're going against the world champions – uh, I think uh, I think that will be uh, that people will understand that. But I think that if they lost, if they got swept, that would give that would give people a little bit of uh, ammunition. You don't want to give them. I think being competitive in this series matters also. So I think the Nets. Uh, you know, I think uh, the big the big hurdle was making sure they beat Toronto, which wasn't easy. Keep an eye on that team the next few years. They're going to be terrific, but. Mm-hmm. The uh, now it comes down to I think they could still catch a little bit of heat if they don't if they get swept by the heat. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? If four zero, they could get. So I think the Nets got to make it competitive. I think tomorrow night becomes a big game. That'd be a good way to evaluate it. Tomorrow night's game could be the one that determines is it a good year or not. Because even if the Nets lose the series, they better win a game or two. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, good answer. Tim Capstra, radio color commentator. We appreciate you joining us again on Celtics Beat, man. I'm going to be – you are on Twitter, correct? Yeah. We'll be listening for you on the radio, watching Brooklyn. We appreciate your time. Nets color commentator Tim Capstra, good friend of Celtics Beat. Thanks for joining us. Anytime. Take care. Well, some great stuff there with – Nets color announcer Tim Capstar and our own Nick Gelso. Uh, found it really kind of uh, ironic that we were talking about Garnett uh, before we went to the interview. And, you know, Capstar, it seems like, uh, has an appreciation uh, and that there is some appreciation within the Nets organization for those things that KG does you know, beyond the box score, you know, he came right out and talked about, uh, you know, his impact on the locker room and, and how that's been. And, you know, that, that while his game is changing, you know, that, that he's still an important part of that, that team and that the, you know, the Nets, you know, probably will want him back. And, you know, folks are kind of hoping for it, for him to return. Uh, what do you think happened? Do you think Garnett walks away at the end of the season? Or do you think, uh, you know, we might be seeing him suiting up in the Brooklyn black again next year? Barring injury, you take a look at just the body of work and, and the history of Kevin Garnett. He's always been just such a grinder on the floor, just a, always works so hard, and you always think that he's going to continue playing, and that's why I think he comes back if I had to make a decision. I'd be like 75-25 right now, or even 80-20, because of just how much he loves being on the basketball floor. I know he's shying away from some of the offense, as I mentioned, I think, early in the show. It's just frustrating to see it's 
going to continue to deplete overall his, you know, just the the ability for him on the floor, especially on the offensive end. But as as Tim was saying, the whole situation is him being the locker room guy, the defensive guy. He's still making an impact, so I think that's why you definitely, or at least we think, we'll see him next year. Yeah, he also talked about uh, the impact that Ray Allen's been been having on this series, and it's it's pretty clear that you know Ray is still kind of worked up over the events yeah. surrounding his departure from Boston and signing with Miami, and uh, you know looks like he's looking at this as an opportunity to stick it uh, to KG and to, to to Pierce a little bit. Do you think he's going to be able to keep that up through the series? Well, that's a great question. I feel like since he is an ancillary piece, you know, as opposed to what's interesting, Kevin Garnett and. Paul Pierce have now become middle of the pack players as opposed to as opposed to role players. They're the ones in between star and and a role player because they have to take on big, a bigger role without Brooke Lopez. So that's an interesting situation because Ray Allen doesn't have as much on him. They can use him as a decoy sometimes. They can use him in the corner sometimes. It's just the, a situation in which he's in a great position in Miami. He chose the right way. He knew what was going on and made the right decision, and it's working out for him. I feel like it's going to be an up and down series as we see with Ray, because if he's not, if the shot's not on, he's not that effective. I feel like he's going to struggle a little bit more in Brooklyn, but he's going to be a big part of this team going forward, most likely when they go to the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals. He's just going to continue to be a big part of it, and if he continues shooting like he has and just making an impact here and there with you know a few rebounds and what he can do, he's definitely a big part of what the Heat can do in the 2014 playoffs. Definitely agree. You know that outside shooting just makes things so much easier for for LeBron and and Dwight D Wade, of course. And our second guest on today's episode of Celtic Speed is old friend Jay King of Mass Live. Our interview with Jay today is brought to you by the world-renowned and Stitcher Award-nominated Beats and Eats podcast. Hosts Ty Ray and Nick Gelso bring you food, pop culture, sports, comedy, and more. That's BeatsandEats.net. Well, welcome back to Celtic Speed, Jay. How's it going, guys? Good. Hey, Jay, how important is it that the Celtics come away with a top two or three pick in the draft with the lottery coming up? Is this a similar situation to 97 and 2007, or do you think the Celtics have a little bit more flexibility uh, to still add to the team now than they did then? I think there are two ways to look at it. I think the top three guys are obviously a cut ahead of everybody else. I think in Wiggins, Parker, and Embiid, those guys are pretty clear-cut the top three, maybe XM if, if you, depending on how teams look at him. I know that some teams are really excited about his potential. But after that, there's there's an obvious drop-off. And But at the same time, this is a deep draft. Pretty much anybody who's in the lottery is going to get someone who should contribute right away. Um, someone who should have a lot of potential. And so I think that's the biggest part of this draft is that it's deep. But I, I do also think that if you don't get a top three pick, you definitely miss out. I, th- I think Ainge, no matter where it lands, will try to trade it for a star if he can. Obviously, the star has to be available. We don't and, know who will be available. You know, as far as the positions go, would you say that there's specific positions that Danny Ainge wants to target in a draft, or is it best available talent situation? I know at the top of the draft it's an interesting thing with, with you know talent, but do you see positions that you want to target here? I mean, I... I think they would obviously love to get a, a rim-protecting center. I think FNB didn't have his back issues. He would be perfect. He would be their ideal pick, I think. Uh, I also think they, they could plug that another way. You could go out and trade for, say, Omar Ashik, somebody like that. There are other ways to fix that hole. And you don't have to – they're not looking to build a perfect team this summer. Let, let's face it, they're, they're really far away from, from being a contender. If they can get a star or two, you know, it's tough to talk about needs because we don't know what they'll look like, (laughs) you know. I don't think Ains even knows what they'll look like. So I think they'll be going with top available talent regardless. Um, But, yeah, I mean, when you talk about needs, are they going to keep Avery Bradley? Will they need a shooting guard? Are they going to keep Jared Sullinger, Kelly Olenek? Are they going to trade those guys? Will will they need a power forward, or will they have 12 like they did last year? (laughs) You know, are they still going to have Brandon Bass, Jeff Green? You you never know. So I I think they'll go with the best available talent and then make decisions from there. Uh, But I also do think that Andrew will be looking to trade it for a star if he can package it. But obviously the star has to be there. If you're a betting man, would you say the Celtics end up using 
both of the picks they currently have when uh, the end of June rolls around and we see the draft? Or do you think the you know what do you think of the chances are one of those picks might end up getting moved? I don't know. Ainge has spent so long bad mouthing this draft that I, <laughs> that I almost that I almost feel like he's just playing coy, and he really loves this draft and has someone in mind that he wants to grab. Um, but I don't know. I would say fifty-fifty whether they use both of them. I think I think obviously they'll, they'll try to do what they did in back in two thousand seven, where they traded the fifth pick. They got unlucky, got the fifth pick, and then traded it for Ray Allen. Later, got Kevin Garnett. Um, we'll try to do that. But again, the, the star has to be there. There's not always a Ray Allen to get. There's not always a Kevin Garnett to get. There are a few stars who could be available. Um, but who knows? There, there's so much that depends on other teams, uh, for Ainge. Whether other teams will make stars available, whether somebody else will have a better package to offer. I think he he has enough draft picks, enough young talent where he can offer a, a very good package for any star who becomes available. But they have to be there. I keep saying that. I sound like a broken record, but <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> it's what's interesting about the trade market. And you mentioned a chic. You mentioned you know. I, I actually want to go into some more names. It would be interesting to talk about just the trade market in general. There was more smoke than fire at the trade deadline this past year, and. Do you see the Celtics being busy in that trade market, or it's always the best available deal for Ainge? So, and he doesn't want to give up players for the sake of giving up players, but you expect to be a lot. There are to be a lot of changes this summer. It, would you say that there's other trade pieces or trade, um, you know, people that the Celtics are after this offseason? I'm not sure if they have specific targets. I think they're just in looking to upgrade the roster no matter what. Ainge has said that he set the table for a few possible deals. I remember he said that on the radio once. So I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but <laughs> there are things that he's looking to do. I think a lot of the reason that teams were so quiet at the trade deadline is because this is a good draft. No one wanted to give up a first-round pick in this draft because it is deep, because there's a lot of talent, not just at the top of the draft, but later in the first round. I've, I've had people who work for teams tell me that that – they they agree with Ainge that there, there might not be a transcendent player in this draft, but at the same time they're really excited about the guys you can get later on. So so that 17th pick the Celtics have could be really valuable because the guy you're getting there at 17 probably would have gone in the top 10, maybe top five last year when it was really a bad draft. So you know there's a lot that's going to go on this summer. The decision on Avery Bradley. You know, I'm I'm sure they'll look into trading Rajon Rondo or at least explore the market for him. But I do think they want to keep him in an ideal circumstance. Um, but I mean, there's just so much going on this summer. I don't know whether they'll change their team overnight like they did six years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was. I'm not <laughs> good with math. Um, but yeah, they're they're going to look to really overhaul this roster. They know they need to make huge improvements to the talent. And not only that, their roster just didn't make any sense last year. It was like they started off the season with five shooting guards. Their backup point guard was an undrafted rookie. They didn't have a single center except for Vitor Favarani, who had like two good games all year. They had like six power forwards. It really just didn't make sense. They only had, after Jared Wallace went down, they, they literally only had one small forward, Jeff Green, on the entire roster. So, I think not only will they be looking to upgrade their talent, but also make a roster that hopefully makes sense uh, so that Brad Stevens doesn't always have to have patchwork lineups that try to hide obvious, obvious flaws. Yeah, it's always tough when you put together a squad and then you kind of have to just mangle around and get through an 82-game season. Uh, as far as just looking at putting together a good roster, we even were talking to, to Sean Grandy recently, and he mentioned, of course, the Carmelo Anthony... Uh, Kevin Love, Rajon Rondo, new big three. Uh, if you can get Kevin Love in a trade, could Melo fit that third piece and maybe you, you see that as the next era of the Celtics? Is that even a possibility in your mind? I don't know if that's a possibility. <laughs> Getting those two guys would take such a, a haul of assets. And obviously the Celtics <laughs> have a ton of draft picks, some young talent. But those two guys, I mean, that would take a lot to trade for those two guys. 
is it possible? I mean, maybe remotely possible, but it it seems far fetched. I do think that would be a, a terrific big three. I think Love is one of the top ten players in the game. I think Carmelo really gets a bad rap just because his team is terrible. I mean, if you look at him, he's, he's become a more efficient scorer. He rebounds. He's not a great defender, but he can let you go small with him at the four and really damage teams with that lineup. I mean, I, I really do think he gets a bad rap, and he's kind of like Paul Pierce before that trade where he was kind of underrated, people thought. You know, maybe, maybe he's not the best team player, and then all of a sudden you see what he, when he gets guys on his team, and he's he's great. And Car, you know, Carmelo on USA Basketball mm-hmm. has has always done a done a really nice job of playing with better players, and I I think he wants that. You know, he he doesn't want to be playing with J.R. Smith and, <laughs> and even Jumper and all those guys. It's just just really are not complete basketball players. He, he wants to have better talent around him. He wants to have a more functional team. I think I think he would really, really appreciate playing with good players. And I, I think he can step his game up to another level once he gets talent around him. Now, what about the free agent market? Celtics, will, will they be players this year? And if so, what do you think they're looking for? You mentioned earlier there's so much potential churn on this roster, it's hard to say. But do you think there are any guys out there available in free agency, either restricted or unrestricted this year, that, that might be attractive to them? They shouldn't have any cap space, or at least any substantial cap space, to, to be big players. Uh, obviously, they, they could use their mid-level exception if, if they become a competitive team again. But there's no promise that they will become a competitive team again. They should be better. Even if they have the same roster, they should be better just because the young guys will be a year older, just because Rondo will be back and healthy, presumably. Uh, but obviously, you know, that there's, there's a ways to go here. And free agency, at least this year, isn't isn't the way that they'll be able to build the roster. They they could have cap space after next year. Um but, but that's another year away. And I, I think Ainge has that in the back of his mind. The 2015 free agent class should be loaded. And Ronda will be part of that. A lot of other guys will be part of that. And if Ainge cannot find a star this summer, then I, I think he will look to go into next year with the flexibility to cap space. And cap space doesn't just mean you'll be able to to sign a free agent because Boston has never really signed top free agents. But Cassface also also gives you more flexibility to trade for a guy that maybe is is on a, on a rebuilding team, a, a star who's on a rebuilding team that other teams don't have a Cassface for, and and you can just take them in and you know let them dump that salary, and and that could be big in building a roster. So even if they don't get free agents, that Cassface will be valuable. Very interesting, and and I think we're actually it's it's kind of weird to, to talk about this Alex at this point in the season where we're still away from the lottery. We don't even know where they're going to pick. You know, we're we're well into the second round here of the NBA playoffs. I I'm I'm guessing you've been watching a lot. Uh, have you been st- surprised by anything? And you know, how do you see you know this 2014 NBA playoffs unfolding? <laughs> These playoffs have been fun, man. Obviously, yeah. the, the second round hasn't been as competitive, but what, <laughs> the first round was outrageous. It was so good. Um, I'm interested to see whether Roy Hibbert is actually the Roy Hibbert he was in game two, and he can turn things around because I, I think that's the only way that Miami gets tested in the East. And then, oh, watch. I mean, the Spurs, wow, they looked good in those first two games against Portland, didn't they? They look, they look un- pretty unstoppable right now. And I don't know how Dallas took them to seven. I was, I was shocked Dallas took them to seven. But they are just running through Portland right now. I, I think the Spurs are my favorite, but then I, I would never bet against LeBron James in any playoff series. So we'll see. I mean, it's a it's a fun playoffs. It's too bad that Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce look like they might just go out with a whimper against Miami this year. Uh, Kevin Garnett was saying last night that he's just really unhappy with his play. He's not playing well at all. He, he looks really old out there. Now earlier you talked about you know if the Celtics were to you know return you know basically the same squad plus a couple of draft picks that you know you can expect to see some you know organic improvement based on some of the young players getting better based on you know Rondo playing a full season. If that were the case, how realistic is it to you think that this team uh, to expect them to make the playoffs next season? And what do you think the internal expectations of the organization might be for next year? 
Well, I mean, look, let's look at it this way. They finished with 25 wins. You've you got to figure Rondo playing a full season and being healthy and being able to play back-to-backs will boost them at least five or six wins. They'll have a lottery pick, at least top eight, hopefully top three. Uh, they'll have the number 17 pick who, at the, at that stage in this draft, they'll probably get a contributor, at least a rotation piece. Olenek will be a year better. He looked a lot yeah. better in the second half of the year. Solinger will have a, a summer to hopefully get in shape and ho- hopefully build on the three-point shot that they, they've been looking to get him. I mean, it's not out of the question if they returned the same roster that they finished somewhere around 500. Uh, obviously, I think the East should be maybe better next year. I don't know. <laughs> I think the Raptors <laughs> will be better. I think the Nets will probably be worse. Um. Uh, yeah, I don't know how the East will be, but obviously it was a bad East this year, so that that helped them, even though they only won 25 games. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think somewhere around 500, maybe. And I, I also think Stevens will be better. I think that Stevens a year into the NBA. I mean, there's so much you have to learn from the 24 second shot clock to late game situations to advancing timeouts that advance the ball to half court. I can remember in a preseason game last year, he had the Celtics, they were up three, and he had the Celtics foul with like 33 seconds left, <laughs> which is a college move, you know? Like, like college, you got to do that because there's 35 seconds left and they can just run out the clock. <laughs> but in the NBA, you, you usually go for the stop and then take the three. So I, I think it, it was a really steep learning curve for him, and I think he did a good job. But I, I do think he'll be a lot better next year, and and the team should be a lot better too, even if they just use the same. But again... I think I think they'll look to trade Brandon Bass and Jeff Green. I have no idea what they're going to do with Avery Bradley in his restricted free agency. I mean, they, they could go a lot of ways this summer. I don't know how to predict how they'll do next year, just because I have no idea who'll be on the roster by by the day after the draft. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And you know, assuming if they you know they were return much of the roster intact, is there anybody you see on the roster right now that you think might be poised? Going to you know take their game to another level and kind of have a, a breakout season next year. I'm excited to see Olenek with a year under his belt. Uh, I, I think also Sullinger, if Sullinger gets in shape, I think Sullinger should have a fantastic year next year because he he's got great hands. He's he's really skilled. He works hard, especially for a guy who's out of shape. If he can get himself in shape, hit threes, he he could really take a take a big step forward. I, I think he had a really good second year. Uh, although he tapered off a little bit toward the end. But I, I think he and Lineker, they're, they're really interesting because they're not ideal defensive players, uh, but they're both really skilled. And I don't know whether they, they could play together in the future just because they're both kind of power forwards and neither of them can really protect the rim too well. But I anticipate both of them getting a little more athletic with, with some work in the gym. I know that's a huge focus for both those guys going into the summer. Uh, I, I, th- I think they're the most interesting from an improvement standpoint. I, th- I think obviously Rondo will be a lot better. I, I think with a full off season, he, he's in Waltham this week. My, my, my buddy, my roommate saw him at the Celtics facility this morning. Hmm. Um, so he, he's already working out hard, getting ready for next season. He said he was really excited to have a long off season, just just to work on his game, just to get some time to get his body right. You know, the long Model playoff runs, they really wear you down. And and for Rondo this year, what did he play, 30, 30 games? So something somewhere around 30 games. I don't know the exact number. But he, his body should be fresh going into next year. He should finally be healthy. He, sh- he should have more rest than he's had in a long time. Uh, so I, I anticipate him having a really good year, too. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining us again, Jay. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on and kind of bring that uh, that unique perspective on the team. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again sometime soon, maybe closer to the draft. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
Listeners can check out Jay's work at MassLive.com and follow him on Twitter at ByJKing. That's B-Y-J-A-Y-K-I-N-G. And speaking of Twitter, I want to remind listeners that if you're on Facebook and Twitter, and let's face it, unless you live under a rock, of course you are, the real question is, why aren't you liking CLNS Radio or following (laughs) CLNS Radio? So do it now. Interact with CLNS and get the latest updates on CLNS programming and more. Interact with CLNS on social media today. Well, Adam, great stuff from Jay King as always. I really loved the the discussion about uh, Olenek, and particularly Jared Selinger. And you know, I think a lot of folks you know know that that Selinger was coming off the back injury and kind of working himself into into shape most of the season. And he had some you know some great moments, and then you know some 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 rough moments, I guess. But you know, I agree with Jay in that I I think Selinger, in one way or another, is going to play a really huge role in the Celtics' future, either you know as a trade asset or as, you know, potentially, you know, part of a big three or maybe that, that fourth complementary piece. And, and, and what did you think of Sullinger's season and, and what do you expect from him next year? It's going to be really interesting to see Sullinger going forward because he already made huge strides in his sophomore season. Of course, injuries have hurt him both years in a Celtics uniform, and we knew that coming into the draft originally. That's the reason why he dropped to the Celtics. So it's interesting to see what's happening with a guy who put up maybe he was arguably the MVP of the Celtics season. And I know I mentioned Sean Grandy uh, during the interview with Jay King, and Sean talked about the Celtics fans being the MVP, but of, of the players, it was definitely uh, definitely Sollinger, and it was great to see what he could do in a uniform for an extended period of time, and hopefully he can place a solid 80 games or at least 70 next season in a Celtics uniform. Well, it's that time again on Celtics Beat. I know this is always Adam's favorite segment. He thrives on the pressure of the shot clock. It's time to go around the NBA in five. Are you ready, Adam? Absolutely. All right, Kevin Durant named MVP this season. Deserving? Yes. You saw what happened when Russell Westbrook went down. You saw what happened when he put together this fantastic season. Although they didn't finish with the best record in the NBA, he was the overwhelming best player of this past season. LeBron should have been closer, though. That's what I was surprised about, him not getting as many first-place votes. He should have gotten, I think LeBron should have gotten double-digit first-place votes at least. Yeah, I think uh, Durant definitely deserved it. I think there was a little bit of, you know, the timing was a little unfortunate with Durant struggling to the end yeah. of that Memphis series that maybe cast a little bit doubt on it. But if you look at the body of the work, it's clear he was the best player in the NBA this season. Uh, it remains to be seen if that, how that plays out uh, in the playoffs. Absolutely. Now, a little Celtics news. Danny Ainge gets one vote as the executive of the year. Now, what do you think about that? I, you know, I'm not shocked. I'm actually surprised he didn't get a few more. I think most people feel like while the team was, you know, had their their struggles this season, that the trade with the Nets and and also being able to get the first round draft pick out of the Lakers, uh, the, the Clippers as compensation for Doc really set the team well up for the future. But you know, at the end of the day, I could see folks, you know, giving pause to uh, voting for a guy when his team won 25 games this year. So it didn't surprise me he didn't win, but I'm not surprised he got a vote. Yeah, it's kind of nice to see that. And what's interesting is, of course, R.C. Buford, one of the best in the business, got the executive of the year, leading the 62-20 and 20 Spurs, and they're kind of moving right through the playoffs, as we can see. Oh, just very interesting going forward to see what happens with you know Danny Ainge and this team. We, we, we talked about it during the show, just really what the future is. And Ainge is starting the future once again, starting with a much better piece than he did before. Now, the biggest surprise in the playoffs so far on the positive side is probably the Washington Wizards. What do you think? Are you buying or selling the Wizards in this year's playoffs? I remember taking the Indiana Pacers in our playoff preview to make it to the finals. I am moving as far away from that as possible as soon as I can. I do like the Clippers still in the West, but the problem is that the Wizards are just good enough and they match up okay enough against the, the Heat that I think I want to see the Wizards in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. This is a fun team to watch. I don't want to watch this Pacers team anymore. And the Wizards are pretty good. If they can do what they can do at home and then maybe steal a game in Indiana, whether it's five or seven, it could be an easy series for this Wizards team that ends early. Yeah, you know, I think the conventional wisdom through much of the season was that Indiana is constructed to give the Heat the most problems with their, you know, with their interior play. But now looking at how things are playing out, I think I might agree with you. I like the uh, the Wizards actually over the Pacers. You know, clearly a lot less experience, and that will hurt yeah. them in the series. But the way Nene is playing, the way Marcin Gortat is playing, 
Miami doesn't really have anybody to match up with those guys, and they also have a significant edge at point guard with the way John Wall is playing over you know somebody like a Mario Chalmers. So that that could be a an interesting series, but um, you know it's that that inexperience tends to rear its head in the playoffs. So I guess we'll uh, we'll see how it plays out. Oh, absolutely. And moving from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference, Mark Jackson out as Golden State Warriors head coach. What do you have to say about that? Wow, what a mess. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> folks are really excited about the idea of Mark Jackson as an NBA coach, and the reality seemed to be a lot uh, messier than the, than the theory in this case. You know, just a ton of dysfunction in that organization, and it was clear that whatever positive qualities that Jackson has as an NBA coach, people just weren't willing to deal with him, you know, as a personality, and he's he's pretty beloved by the players on that team, so it speaks volumes that, you know, management was so quick to pull the hook in terms of his, you know, just ability to interact with other people in an organization, and, you know, I read yesterday where he, you know, he gave an interview in the aftermath of the firing, and, and he continued to really go after, you know, the, the assistants, Ehrman and Scalabrini, you know, for their role in, in effectively his demise, so really toxic situation. It'll be interesting to see where he lands on his feet. Oh, absolutely. And the crazy thing was, on the court, one of the best coaches in Warriors history, the first Don Nelson days, the first time that he was in, the early 90s, was the last time they made the playoffs two consecutive years. And that what they did it was just amazing what the Warriors have done on the court. And they've been playing great and did it without Bogut going to seven games against the Clippers. So just a great job by Jackson on the floor. So he'll definitely land on his feet, whether it might be in New York or somewhere else. And speaking of uh, ex-coaches uh, and potential future coaches, Steve Kerr, uh, he's out there. Uh, a lot of talk linking him to the, uh, the Knicks and some talk now linking him to the Warriors. Where do you think he ends up? You know what? I'm going to go wild card here. Utah Jazz. Rebuilding makes it easy. It's a weird situation. It's either Jazz or Warriors. Do I see no Knicks? Yeah, the Warriors are an attractive job. Um, you know, I, I wonder if his relationship with Luke Jackson will trump everything out. Ooh. So I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. Well, that's it for Around the NBA in 5, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astra Vex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Tim Capstraw and Jay King, for our executive producer, Larry A. Trussell, my co-host, Adam Lowenstein, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.